This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Welcome, gather round the fireside and listen to a tale of Yon McCool, Cullen, Deirdre, all the sorrows grow on your wail. From giants right down to fairies, about the trooping and solitary, and ghosts who are sometimes scary. Anything goes by the fireside. Yeah. Fireside, the Puka Fireside, the Merrow Fireside. Kings and queens fighting heroes, don't you run from the fun, there's no need to hide. Sit by the fireside. Mm-hmm. Fireside. Hello and welcome to Fireside, the Irish storytelling podcast. Each episode of Fireside, we take a story from folklore or mythology, we retell it, have a chat about the tale itself and about the craft, the culture and the history of storytelling. My name is Kevin C. Olihan. I'm your host and your Fireside Bard. Welcome to episode 212 of Fireside. Today on the Irish Storytelling Podcast, we have a tale from Dublin's fair city about a very special bird and a very special bird's owner. This is the tale of the jackdaw. But first, a very big welcome to all of you new listeners and returning listeners. Thank you for your recent or continuing support. All of the usual ways you can support the podcast are by following me over on Instagram at firesidebard. Email me at thefiresidebard at gmail.com. Those are the two places to get in touch with me. And uh, sharing this podcast with your friends on your stories, however, is the best way to keep the name alive and can continue to let the fire grow. And if you want to support the podcast more direct way, you can buy my book, Garden Sea, a Neo-Myth of Home, my poetry collection, which is available in paperback from the Headstuff website or in Kindle version from Amazon. Uh, You can also support Headstuff Plus at headstuffpodcast.com, where for as little as five euro a month, although you can pay more if you want, you can gain access to bonus material, not just for Fireside, but for all of the podcasts on the Headstuff Podcast Network, the ever-growing Headstuff Podcast Network. And those are the the cells, the hard cells out of the way, quicker than usual as well, which is nice. It's lovely to be recording with you all again. I'm coming to you from my home studio here in Wicklow in Ireland, um, settling back in nicely to being back in on Paddy's Green Shamrock Shore. Um, it's been it's been a busy busy time. Uh, just trying to now that I'm going to be home for the foreseeable, mostly for the next few months. Um, just kind of building things back up again, playing a lot of music, playing a lot of Irish music around Dublin, uh, doing a lot of uh, literary tours around the city as well. So as I said before, any uh, anybody who is visiting Ireland from abroad, maybe you live in Ireland already, or maybe you are planning a visit to Ireland over the course of the next few months, I tend to think that uh, listeners of this podcast, particularly there's a large demographic in America um, who may have been here, may not have been here, certainly a lot with Irish ancestry. But if you are on the off chance planning a trip around Ireland and you are going to be in Dublin, please do let me know. Um, it'll be lovely to meet anyone and I'll let you know what work I'm doing around. You can come along and see a bit of Irish folk music or you can have me take you around and tell you about Joyce and Beckett and Oscar Wilde and all and take them to their drinking haunts. That's on the Dublin Literary Pub Crawl or usually I'm gigging in the Temple Bar Pub in Dublin. Uh, so do let me know. But the story for this week, this is one I've actually uh, I discovered years ago um, but I'd never got around to doing it as an episode 
And it made me realize a strange thing. Despite Dublin being the capital city of Ireland and the city that there is a huge amount of literature and a music written about, there hasn't really been too many folk tales that I've done revolving around Dublin. And that hasn't been intentional. And that has just been how it has worked out because a huge amount of folklore is stories of their regional rural stories, their stories of country people, because in the countryside, that is where there was the most uncertainty, whether it be financial or just with the amount of space and trees and grass and everything around. So when there is that uncertainty, that is where fairies and strange creatures come about, because those are the things that you wanted to warn your children or warn each other not to stray too far off the beaten path with because who knows what could be out there so it is nice and refreshing change of pace and I discovered when I started adapting this that this is a story very much set in Ireland's capital right in in the heart of Dublin and I always enjoy doing stories about animals particularly because you can put so much into animals and there is uh, a magic to animals that is so fun to explore in folklore and this is a lovely tale and we will talk more about it afterwards of course but this is the tale of the jackdaw on Fireside The Jackdaw In Dublin's fair city on the mighty Sackville Street the former name for O'Connell Street there worked a linen draper named Tom Moore. Tom's father had died and left his son a fortune and a very successful business. But Tom was not the man his father had been. One day a countryman came into Tom Moore's shop holding a nest of birds. Good day, sir. I was wondering if you would like to buy a nest of jackdaws. A nest of what? asked an incredulous Tom Moore. Jackdaws, sir. Corvettes. Part of the crow family, but much more beautiful than plain old crows. He pointed to the nest of chicks. Look at the lighter feathers, the beautiful grey eyes, and not to mention their squawk is much less harsh than the sound of a raven. I'm a linen draper, said Tom Moore. Yes, sir, said the countryman. I'm a linen draper, and you've walked into my place of business this day to ask me if I want to buy a nest of jackdaws. That's right, sir. Marvellous birds. You'll wonder how you ever got by without them. I'm fine for jackdaws, thank you, said Tom Moore. This is a limited time offer, sir. You don't want to be the one to miss out on the jackdaws. You'll be raging after. I don't want any bleeding birds. Now off with you. But as the rejected countryman was on his way out the door, one of the jackdaws popped his head out of the nest and said, Mark! Mark! Tom Moore suddenly turned around. Damn it, he said. That bird knows my name. No one could ever say if Tom Moore had misheard the bird, or if he spoke a language that most did not. But in any case, Tom called after the countryman. Excuse me, sir. I won't take the nest. But I'll take that one popping his head up now. Fine choice, sir. Best of the flock, said the countryman. Yeah, yeah, now take my money and get out of my shop. Tom Moore clearly felt this jackdaw was a good omen of sorts. 
And so he built the bird a fine cage to live in, and hung the cage proudly in the shop. Jackdaws, like all corvids, have the capacity to speak due to a syrinx in their chest. Although not as sophisticated as the human being's larynx in the throat, the corvid's advanced intelligence allows them to, like parrots, mimic human speech. But such birds are rarely kept as pets, and so do not spend enough time with humans to teach them. But Tom Moore cared greatly for this jackdaw, and used to tap the cage and say, Who are you? Who are you? Tom Moore of Sackville Street. Before long, the jackdaw was repeating this phrase in his hoarse bird voice. Indeed, any time the jackdaw wanted food or drink, he would rattle his own cage and say, Who are you? Who are you? I'm Tom Moore of Sackville Street. Tom Moore's great vice was gambling. He would lose much of his father's inheritance playing card games at home with friends and competitors. Soon the jackdaw was so settled in his house that the cage door used to be left open so the bird could hop and fly around and watch his master win some, but mostly lose, all of his money. Every time someone else would win, Tom would say, Damn it! How he nicks them! Thinking that it wasn't possible for anyone to be that unlucky and that his friends must be thieves or cheaters. Soon the jackdaw was adding this phrase to his growing speech. Who are you? Who are you? Tom Moore of Sackville Street. Damn it! How he nicks them! Tom Moore's gambling problem only got worse. Until he had squandered away his entire fortune, his home and his linen shop. The gambler eventually ended up in a debtor's prison, and the only possession, his only companion left, was his beloved jackdaw. Every day the loyal bird stayed by his master's side. Whenever other prisoners would ask Tom Moore what brought him to prison, he would say, Bad company by God. Bad company by God. Sure enough, the jackdaw soon added this deflection of blame to his own vocabulary. Prison took its toll on Tom Moore. He watched as other prisoners died, or were released, or were transported to Australia or Van Diemen's land. But there would be no transportation for Tom Moore. He had lived a Dubliner, and he would die a Dubliner. In the last stage of his health, Tom Moore lay on a bed of straw in his cold, wet, empty jail cell. His poor jackdaw had not eaten or drank in two days, and came to his master's side and gently gnawed his finger. Who are you? Who are you? The jackdaw croaked. I'm Tom Moore of Sackville Street. Damn it, how he nicks them. What brought you here? Bad company by God. Bad company by God. When Tom Moore looked into the pale grey eyes of his beloved jackdaw, he had a final moment of clarity. Oh, what a fool I've been. Everything I've ever been given in life, I have squandered. But I have no one to blame but myself. And now this poor, innocent crater is going to perish by my side. I won't have it. Now, at the end, I will at least do one good deed and set this bird free. With the last of his strength, Tom Moore stood, and picking up the jackdaw, brought him over to the jail cell window. The bars were tight, even for a small bird, but reaching up and gently nudging, Tom Moore fed the jackdaw through the prison bars 
and the bird flew away to freedom. Tom Moore would miss his last remaining companion in his final hours, but knowing that his jackdaw was free made Tom Moore feel liberty in his heart. But liberty would not be so easy for the jackdaw. He soon found a flock of other daws at Dublin Castle, the seat of the British Empire in Ireland, which had, despite its tyrannical and blood-soaked reputation, a beautiful garden. The jackdaws enjoyed picking worms and roots from the gardens, unaware that they were fighting the good fight. But the Dublin Castle gardener was infuriated by this pest intrusion. Every day the jackdaws would arrive, the gardener would attempt to shoot them from the sky. But corvids again are clever birds. And every day one jackdaw would station itself in a tree stump of the gardens. And every time the gardener had cocked his rifle and was ready to aim, the bird would cry, Mark! And his brethren would scatter. Thwarted, the gardener developed another plan. He sourced a large fishing net from the fish cellars of Fishamble Street. Perhaps it was dear old Molly Malone. The gardener then spread the net across the grass and waited for his prey. When the jackdaws landed on the lovely fish-smelling grass, the gardener struck, pulled the net, and captured fifteen of the poor birds, including the jackdaw of Tom Moore. The gardener was now tasked with disposing of the birds, a task he was looking forward to all too much. He would take great pleasure in this. The gardener took the fifteen captive birds to an abandoned house just outside of Dublin City and locked the door. He then threw the net on the ground and released the jackdaws. The birds scattered around the room, but the ceilings were low, the windows and doors locked, so there was nowhere for them to fly. Now, you dirty devils, I'll be revenged on all of you, laughed the gardener. He picked the first jackdaw up in his hands, twisted its neck with great delight, and threw the bird dead on the ground. Tom Moore's jackdaw flew and sat on a bust above the chamber door, and as the gardener had a second bird in his clutches, Tom Moore's jackdaw cried out, Damn it, how he nicks them! The gardener looked up and turned around. Where had that voice come from? This house is abandoned. There's no one living here. I must be hearing things. With that, he twisted another bird's neck. But with a third bird in the gardener's grasp, Tom Moore's jackdaw once again cried out, louder this time, Damn it, how he nicks them! The gardener dropped the bird in fright and swung around to search for the sound of the voice. Who said that? Who are you? Tom Moore of Sackville Street. I'm Tom Moore of Sackville Street. The devil you are, cried the gardener. What do you want from me? What brought you here? Bad company by God. Bad company by God. This was too much for the gardener, who nearly knocked the door off its hinges in his attempt to run away. The door opened wide. All of the jackdaws, including Tom Moore's, flew out and high into the sky. Through his master's teachings, the jackdaw had saved the lives of his new flock. And because of that, Tom Moore got his last dying wish for the jackdaw 
to be free. The end. This is how it's always been. Double Love is a podcast in which we explore the strange and terrifying world of Sweet Valley High, book by book. Join me, Anna Carey. And me, Karen Moynihan. As we revisit one of the maddest series of books ever written or ghostwritten. If you ever read about Elizabeth and Jessica, the perfect blonde Wakefield twins, then you might enjoy listening to us absolutely tearing them to shreds. Affectionately, of course. Of course. And even if you didn't, there's still plenty of drama, kidnapping, stolen boyfriends and school dances to entertain you. Find us on the Headstuff Podcast Network and wherever you get your podcasts. And that is the tale of the jackdaw on Fireside. And I hope you all enjoyed it. Yes, this is a... Lovely, lovely little tale. I'll start out right from the beginning by saying that I adore Corvids. Adore ravens particularly. Ravens would be one of, if not my favourite, bird. Um, which I think I've talked about a good bit on this podcast, especially when we were doing the tales from the Thorn, because you have the Morrigan. The Morrigan who, the Celtic goddess of battle and war and death, who has her most notorious form in the form of a battle crow or of a raven. And it is in the form of the raven that she lands on the corpse of Cúchulain to indicate to the warriors of the rest of Ireland that Cúchulain at last is dead. And after challenging Cúchulain so many times and Cúchulain thwarting her attempts to kill him so many times, this is how the Morrigan finally wins against Cúchulain. But it is just their intelligence. Uh, Corvids, Corvids of all kinds, it's thought have the intelligence of about a seven-year-old child, and like a human child. And because of that, that they, this is why they are able to speak. And also because they have a syrinx within their chest. Syrinx, which comes from, it comes from Greek mythology, actually. Syrinx was a water nymph who the god Pan lusted after. And Syrinx tried to escape Pan, and so she went to a river and she prayed for to escape this pursuer. And so Pan, or Syrinx, was turned into water reeds. And when Pan saw what had become of her, he cut the reeds out of the water and he made the instrument that in ancient Greek was known as the Syrinx, but we would know them today as the Pan Pipes. So Pan and Syrinx were, unfortunately for her, immortalized together in this instrument that Pan would become so famous for. And the Syrinx then became the medical name for the voice box within a bird, the sound that they are able to produce. And so that was very, that was exciting to explore within this because these are very interesting things about these particular birds. My favourite thing ultimately about Corvids, which I didn't get to put into this story, uh, couldn't find a moment for it, though, is uh, that Corvids have been known to pass down possessions through generations. This could just be a stick or a rock or something, but they have discovered that the same nests of birds hold on to the same things that were passed down, which is a very primitive and simple form, but it is culture. It is an example of culture within the bird world, which I think is just the most wonderful thing in the world. But to talk specifically about Tom Moore and Tom Moore's jackdaw, 
first of all, yes, we have a story very much set in Dublin uh, on Sackville Street, which is the old name for O'Connell Street before uh, the 1916 Rising and before it was later renamed, which for those who have not been to Dublin is um, the the biggest the biggest kind of main street on the north side it is where the spire is it is where the gpo is um all the side streets of it include like where the abbey theater is or national theater and then a huge amount of um of shopping districts as well jervis street shopping center the ILAC, and all of these places so it's a very very bustling area and um this is where tom moore's shop was we get this 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 rather wonderful exchange between Tom Moore and this countryman who comes into his shop to sell him a nest of jackdaws, which is just a great way of beginning a story to begin with anyway. But this exchange expanded this a little bit from how it is in the original story, the original version of which I, of course, will always uh, share in the bio below, in the show notes below. But this, to me, just read like the Dead Parrot sketch, the Monty Python iconic sketch um, of a man trying to return a dead parrot and the shopkeeper trying to convince him that the parrot is not dead. Uh, That true sense of absurdity was all I can think about in a man going into the shop of a man who owns and sells uh, linen and cloth and trying to get him to buy not even one a full nest of jackdaws so we have there our wonderful and absurd beginning and then the very strange inciting incident is that the this particular jackdaw cries out and he just cries out in his crow voice like mock mock was uh, how it was written in the original story and I could not find a better a better uh, written description for the sound of a jackdaw crowing then mock mock so mock mock was what it was but this this bird pops up and says mock mock and tom moore turns around and he says damn it the bird knows my name and like in a lot of folk tales there is no context given for this about what that means does does tom moore mishear him does he hear the 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 potential in the bird's voice we don't know, or does he not even realize he speaks a language with this bird? But in any case, he buys this bird and it becomes his beloved pet. And then he begins to teach him how to talk. And he teaches him very strange phrases. He teaches him this, this first phrase, which is, who are you? Who are you? I'm Tom Moore of Sackville Street. And one has to wonder, in the days before uh, self-help books and meditation guides and everything, was this Tom Moore's own form of an affirmation that he would have this bird? Was he quite low on himself in his philandering, gambling ways? And so would just like to have a bird beside him to constantly tell him, who are you? Who are you? You're Tom Moore of Sackville Street, and don't let anyone else tell you that you're not. That's just what comes to my head anyway. But maybe it was just the kind of gimmick of having customers come in and seeing this bird that could talk. But of course, this grows or Tom Moore deteriorates rather rather swiftly by uh, being a terrible gambler. And we have, there is a a lot of characters in, in these folk tales. They come from, as I said, very rural backgrounds and usually quite poor backgrounds. Um, if these stories are set in larger country houses, unless they're stories about kings or princesses, then usually they're stories about the servants or the butlers or the staff because folklore is the story of the people. It is, it is not, 
it is not one story about individual. It is as is a collective and collection of stories about everyone, and they are our stories. And so that tends to be why they are about the more working class, ordinary people. But Tom Moore doesn't quite fall into that category because he is handed everything in life by his father, a large fortune and a very well uh, well run business that was well run until Tom Moore took it over and he gambled all of it away. And so Tom Moore eventually ends up in a very Dickensian debtor's prison, um, which was very much a thing. And all he has with him, he was at least allowed to retain his beloved jackdaw and when they when all the other prisoners begin to be transported or they begin to die we just have this image of tom moore and his jackdaw which i don't know if any of you have made this connection either but all i could think of for this was brooks in the shawshank redemption with jake the who was a crow as well and um, perhaps could uh, stephen king or frank darabont have thought of this very obscure Irish folktale in collecting, in putting this older prisoner, Brooks, with this uh, pet crow to keep him through his long days in prison. But Tom Moore realizes that he is going to die and that he has been selfish and wasted everything that has been given to him. And so in a final act of nobility, decides to set the bird free. And that could be where our story ends, but then there wouldn't really be a story. The story really comes in its third act, in its change, and that is when the bird is free, he isn't free straight away. Because life, and particularly city life, is very dangerous for a bird. So in the original story, it's set in a temple, um, but I didn't know specifically what temple it was meant to pick in. And I know the image of Dublin Castle very well, which is a very imposing structure still and was the most terrifying place in Ireland for Irish people for many hundreds of years because it was the seat of the British Empire over here and some parts of its structure date back to Norman times and it is a very very even still when you walk into the courtyard of it it is a very intimidating and imposing building one of my favorite details about Dublin Castle is that the statue of justice uh, which is on many, many uh, courthouses and buildings all over the world. But there is a rule of um, th how the Statue of Justice is, um, and which is, of course, that she's blindfolded and she's holding these weighing scales. But justice should always be facing out towards the people. But only in Dublin Castle is the Statue of Justice facing in towards the castle which led writers to say that only in Dublin does justice have her arse to the people. And I've never known is this a total accident or if this was this quiet act of rebellion by the architect in charge of putting this on or the, the construction workers or the sculptor or anybody. But that is, that is a fact and that is a very iconic part of Dublin history, of Dublin Castle's bloody history. So I liked the idea of setting this final act with the birds and the gardens uh, in Dublin Castle because they'd be more modern now, but the, the Dublin Gardens, which are currently in the castle, is one of my favourite spots in the city, which is within the walls of the castle. You go in and in and in, and then there's this beautiful open part that just has this lovely sheltered uh, moment of serenity within the city. Um, and anyone who hasn't checked it out, who either is from Ireland or isn't from Ireland, I highly recommend having a stroll around the Dublin Gardens. But so that was my setting for the Jackdaws trying to make ends meet, picking their worms and roots in the Dublin Gardens. 
And then you have this this gardener who, of course, having to tend to these gardens within Dublin Castle, he has to get rid of this pest problem. And he does this by shooting at them, which obviously then sets this in uh, in a period, probably like 17th, 18th century onwards, where you're having um, active rifles that are would be owned by gardeners. And he shoots at the birds, but the birds, again, showing their their unique cleverness, have a sentry, have a guard telling them when the gun is being loaded and he can't catch them. So he goes and he gets a net. It was my addition to add it be a fish net. And yes, I will say again, like buying fish, a fish net from fish sellers on Fish Amble Street is all accurate. Fish Amble Street is one of the little side streets where the fish sellers used to roam up and down. And that is one of the places where the legend of uh, Molly Malone comes from. And so he captures these the birds in this fishnet, which is understandable that the smell would be rather enticing as well, and then takes them and is going to, takes them to the old abandoned haunted house and is going to one by one murder each of the birds, at which he's going to take great pleasure in. And we get very much our, our villain in this gardener. And so after he breaks the two necks, we get the wonderful revelation that the words that Tom Moore taught his jackdaw allow him to pose as a ghost, as a demon spectre in this abandoned house to frighten the shit out of the gardener, send him packing and send all of the birds free. So it's a really nice, I think it's a really nice resolution to this of something, Chekhov's jackdaw, of something that is established for almost more of an arbitrary reason or a fun reason at the beginning of the story to teach a bird that can talk to talk. But considering it was Tom Moore's dying wish to set this bird free and he doesn't initially get that freedom from being released, the fact that it is that ability to speak that not only allows this jackdaw to be free, but allows him to free all of the other jackdaws as well. And I wish Tom Moore's jackdaw well and all the others. I hope they had a nice, fun life, full life free of gardeners after that. And with that, I will wrap things up. So I hope you enjoyed this story. Um, Next week, we will have another world tale. Um, There's a couple on the cards. I'm thinking perhaps it could be a tale from uh, the Arabian Nights. Might have a tale about a jinn or a genie, as they would be known now. Um, That was one of the ones on on the itinerary. But we shall see. It will be revealed all next week. Um... All the usual ways you can support the podcast. Follow me over on Instagram. Uh, email me at thefiresidebard at gmail.com. Share this on your story. Share this with your friends. Spread the good name. Buy my book, Garden Sea, at Kindle, on Kindle version or in paperback. We can ship the paperback all around the world. Um, support Headstuff Plus at headstuffpodcastnetwork.com. All of the links are in the description below. I will see you all. You'll hear me all next time. And remember, wherever you are and wherever you go, you can always join me by the fireside. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com.